All right. So June 25th. That's actually the last time that I put out an episode of When the Hunt Calls. Yeah, man. It's been a long time. We're already in September. Uh, to keep it 100 with you guys, um, I'm not going to front. Kind of slacking on my duties as a dad. Slacking on my duties as a father. I'll even go so far as to say I was kind of forcing my my growing, you know, interest my growing passion for hunting on my family and i realized that i can't do that i was kind of alienating them um you know kind of pushing them away uh and i've never wanted um from the beginning uh i never wanted my hunting to leave a negative impact or make a negative impact on my family life so spent the last couple of months last summer you know focusing on my family and helping them find their love not love but i'm not gonna go so hard as to say love but find help them find their interest in the outdoors whether it's been visiting state parks or visiting the beach but or hiking you know we've just been taking the time to hang out and just enjoy each other's company in the outdoors so needless to say i'm back Hope you guys enjoy this new intro music. What up, what up, what up? Welcome to episode 67 of When the Hunt Calls, the only hunting podcast hosted by a middle-aged black guy from New York City. What's going on, y'all? I miss this. I miss this a lot. But uh, hey, listen, if after all this time you are still a loyal subscriber, a return listener, I truly appreciate your loyalty. I truly appreciate you taking the time out to listen using whatever platform you're using to listen to this. If it is the first time you have tuned in, thank you for taking the chance on something a little new. Well, not necessarily new, but new for you. You know what I'm saying? Um, if you guys get a chance, please uh, hit pause, head over to the review section of whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast and just hook me up with a with a, you know, a five star rating. And if you're feeling truly generous, go ahead and drop a dope review. All right. Let's get right into this. Um, I wanted the first episode back to be something somewhat instructional, somewhat uh, educational. So my guest today is Tony J. Peterson. Now, Tony J. Peterson is an avid hunter, duh, um, just an all around avid outdoorsman with a wealth of experience. Um, he's been uh, a writer and editor for some outdoor publications um more recently he's been contributing and working partnership with uh you know the guys from meat eater um specifically mark kenyon um uh just recently they started an offshoot a mini series of the wire to hunt podcast called foundations um it's a great great series i highly recommend you guys um you know check it out give it a listen but um 
like I said, I wanted Tony on here today to kind of talk with me about e-scouting. So if e-scouting is something, you know, uh, you're new to and you'd like to get a, a little bit of a better understanding about it, then this is the episode for you. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please joining me, please welcome <laughs> joining me today, Tony J. Peterson. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I've got with me none other than Tony Peterson. Uh, do you prefer Tony Peterson or Tony J. Peterson? Because I've heard the J thrown in there a couple of times. Uh, I don't care, man. You know, <laughs> so uh, uh, can I explain that quick? Because people, yeah. people bring that up sometimes. And, you know, I started writing, oh man, I, I think I published my first article in 2003. So this was like, you know, way before it was super easy to find anyone you wanted on the internet. And just, I, what I realized was when I started doing more digital articles and ending up in that space, I'm like, I have a really common name. And I just Googled how many writers are out there named Tony Peterson. And mm -hmm. I wasn't even the only outdoor writer. Oh, wow. And, and so, I, yeah, there was some dude out in California who was doing fishing articles. And so I'm like, geez, I got to kind of, you know, try to separate myself a little bit and get some kind of identifier in there. So I just, I started using my middle initial and I've had so many people bring that up It kind of like in a condescending way and be like, that's kind of cocky or something like that. I'm like, <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Like I didn't mean anything by it. I just did it because I was like, well, if people want, you know, my style of hunting article or something like back mm -hmm. then it was easier for them to find if they could put that in and people were noticing. And so now it's just kind of there and it, it, it's totally unnecessary now. So we can, we can go either <laughs> way with it. I hear you. I hear you. So you touched on something uh, I was going to bring up. So you are, uh, you have a background in, in writing in regards to outdoors. Is it strictly hunting related or is it just anything outdoors? Um, you know, I, I do some fishing writing. I mean, that's kind of how I got into the industry, but mm. I, I primarily do, you know, a, you know, bow hunting whitetails is kind of my thing. Uh, but I do a lot of turkey stuff. I'm really passionate about bird dogs and dog training. So mm. that's kind of my other, my other go-to spot, but you know, it's, I'm just, I'm kind of just a generalist in the outdoors, even though I, I sort of specialize in whitetails. I just, I love being out there, man. And it, if it's, I don't care what it's fishing for or hunting for. It's just kind of my thing. I hear you. I said, same thing for me. It's a growing passion for me. How long have you been hunting? Oh, my whole life. Uh, and where are you from? I'm from Minnesota. Minnesota. So I, I, have been, I have been out there once in my lifetime. What What were you doing out here? Um, I attended. I In the past life, I used to do a lot of work with at-risk youth, with nonprofit organizations. And I chaperoned a trip of 10 New York City teenagers to um, a national youth leadership conference out in Minneapolis. Um, we stayed at the, well, it, it was close to Minneapolis, I should say. We stayed at the, uh, if I'm pronouncing this right, the Audubon House mm -hmm. um, out there. And then we, we spent a week there for a youth leadership conference. And then we spent two weeks um, in South Dakota visiting a number of uh Indian reservations like we were out at Pine Ridge we were in um Rosebud and you know we checked out uh Mount Rushmore so Crazy Horse Memorial all that oh nice yeah but um how close is 
I guess because I I'm still somewhat familiar and in touch with with the relationships I I made out in uh in South Dakota. How close are you to there? Uh, I can get to South Dakota if you're talking the northeastern corner in I don't know three and a half four hours. I'm I'm in the suburbs of the Twin Cities, so I'm just north of uh, Minneapolis by maybe like a okay. half hour. All right, nice nice. All right, so jumping into the next thing. Um, I'm familiar with you, as should you know most of my guests be. Um, not my guests, my uh, listeners be. Listeners. In terms of uh, you being on the Wired to Hunt podcast and the work you've done with Meat Eater um, before, but you just recently launched a sort of offshoot of the Wired to Hunt podcast called Wired to Hunt Foundations. Um, Can you share with us exactly how that came about and what folks can look for when listening in on that? Yeah, uh, you know, Foundations has been interesting. It's it's sort of a mini series on the Wired to Hunt uh, feed. And it, it came about because Mark and I were talking when we were kind of negotiating, you know, if I was going to come over there or not and and work more full time with Meat Eater. Mm. You know, we we're like, what, what what are we missing? You know, like mm. what is what is Wired to Hunt missing that we should be addressing? And we realized, you know, Mark, Mark has a great audience and he you know, he gets questions all the time and I've got an audience that asks me questions a lot. And I realized I was like, man, I feel like we're talking over a lot of people and I don't want to do that. Like, I feel like we need to, we, we kind of take it for granted. You know, I've been bow hunting a long, long time and I've been in this space for a long time. So it's easy for me to kind of assume the audience has a greater knowledge than they do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Mark is in the same boat. And so I said, let's, let's just cover the basics in like a really comprehensive, easy to to digest fashion and give, you know, give beginners something to work with and try to sneak in enough stuff there where if you've been bow hunting a long time, you might still walk away with some little nugget there. And that's, that's kind of how foundations was born. And it's really, it's been a pain <laughs> to be honest <laughs> with you, because it's a lot of writing and editing and really planning as far as how the scripts go and how they're read. But mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like we kind of hit what we we wanted to, or we're hitting what we wanted to. Where the people I'm hearing from about it, mm-hmm. it's I, th- I think we're we're doing what we kind of set out to do, and that makes me really happy because I I just I felt like we had a hole in our game, man, and it it feels like now we're we're sort of you know plugging it up a little bit and giving people something that they need, or you know it's a certain demographic of hunters something they really need. Mm-hmm. No, I I gotta tell you, all right. So like I said before, you know I even press record. I told you I'm a, a really new bow hunter. Um, most of my listeners are the same, and um, if they haven't already, they definitely have to check out, um, you know, Wired to Hunt Foundations, um, because you are so on the mark with these episodes. Because I really like, um, it's just you get into the episode starts and you get right into it, and it's not like an hour, an hour or two hour long episode or anything like that. It's what I think the longest episode um you've done was probably the first episode with with mark introducing it and then after that they're never more than 30 minutes long and i walk away knowing a lot more than i did prior to that um and to kind of um i guess emulate what you're doing i'd like to jump right into why i really want you on this podcast is because of your second episode you you touched on e-scouting right and um here in new york um 
I because I don't travel very far to uh to to hunt and it's I'm you know born and raised in New York City I'm trying to keep it close to home when I hunt and a lot of the hunters that I'm familiar with do the same so for us newer guys I wanted to get as really detailed as possible with understanding e-scouting what it is what to look for and so on so I guess I'm gonna ask you probably some remedial questions which to my listeners if you are you know experienced hunters and you already know the answers um please listen because it's probably going to be a nugget you could take away something you didn't learn before like you said about your episodes um what you're doing but i want to start with i guess the question what exactly is e-scouting so we we should start you know e-scouting in, in its most basic form is just you know, pulling up Google Earth, pulling up Onyx, pulling up HuntStand, some some service that's going to give you uh, access to satellite imagery, aerial photography that you can look at your hunting ground from a you know anywhere from probably like a thirty thousand foot view, I would guess, to maybe down like to fifteen hundred, two thousand feet somewhere. And I'm not sure exactly what the ranges are for each one, but mm-hmm. it's it's just that that's like the most basic form. Like there are other ways to do it. I mean, you could lump in. Um, you know, you could just Google like where, where's the best spot to hunt in New York. I guess you could probably call that e-scouting. I don't. I, I really wouldn't. <laughs> I, I mean, w- when we when we refer to it, it's it's typically you know pulling up some kind of service that's going to give you relatively current satellite imagery and show you your hunting spots. And it, I should say this about it. You know, like how you mentioned, you know, you don't really travel a lot of the, a lot of the stuff we do, we're talking about traveling to a new place and e-scouting for it. But I honestly think that, you know, Onyx and some of these other services are, are some of the best things to ever happen to us. Whether you never hunt anywhere than your home farm or the public land down the road, or you travel to five or six different states, the the things you can learn through e-scouting, the value is incredible. Agreed. I, I'm a subscriber to Onyx myself, and it's just amazing the information that's available. Because I, I remember years ago um, in another job I had, I used to travel a lot, and I used to use those gas station maps to get around from state to state, town to town. So can I ask, in terms of um, scouting in general before getting boots on the ground, how long would you say have folks been using uh stuff like onyx and google earth um like when did the the paper map become outdated oh i can remember so in from 2006 to 2000 and about nine i was the associate editor for peterson's bow hunting peterson's bow hunting magazine and i remember bill winky was writing articles about using satellite imagery and i honestly don't remember if he was at that point, if we were able to just look it up or if you had to order it, I think you might have had to order maps from somewhere. Mm-hmm. But so we've we've been doing this for a while now. And, you know, it's it's gotten more and more popular. And I, I think, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but I kind of think that we we sort of sell this as like the answer to people's problems, right? Like you can you can find so much through e-scouting, mm-hmm. but it's really the real value is when you ground truth this stuff. And so I always encourage people like this is, this is something you can do anytime. Like you're sitting wherever you're sitting in the subway, you're sitting at home at night. I mean, you can be scouting whitetails and figuring some stuff out and that's like a huge benefit, but it really, the whole thing doesn't really tie together until you get out there and start walking around. So it's, it takes it without that first part, 
the second part's much more difficult. But without the second part, the first part doesn't really matter, if that makes sense. No, no, agreed. Agreed. So now to to jump to my next question, I guess to get a definition, um, again, because this term was used a lot in that second Foundations episode, is the term waypoints. All right. Um, what is and the thing is, like, I know for myself what a waypoint is, and I've asked other guys as well, but no one can give me like a proper definition. So what exactly how would you define what a waypoint is? Well, you know, waypoint comes from way back when we were using really rudimentary uh, GPS units to hunt where that's just what that's what it was labeled when you marked a spot and it was taken into account on those, you know, you didn't even really have a map. You had this little kind of 1980s Nintendo screen that, <laughs> you know, it would it would show you the latitude and longitude. So it was giving you the GPS coordinates. And they were just called a waypoint. I don't I don't know if there's any other significance beyond that. But mm-hmm. we've we've kind of just said, you know, like I'm marking a waypoint. That's it's like dropping a pin on your your Apple Maps or your Google Maps or on X. It's a waypoint that just you're like, man, I like how this spot looks. I'm gonna make a digital flag there so I don't forget it. And it they've evolved so much now where you can label them different things and you could take a picture to associate with it. You can you can add notes to it, all kinds of different stuff. You can color code them and really kind of take your scouting and go, okay, every place I want to put a tree stand, I'm going to drop this little digital flag, this waypoint, and it, every one of those is going to be red. And if I find a water source I want to hunt, all those are going to be blue, and a food source is going to be green. And you can just develop this kind of overlay picture of of where you think you'll hunt, where you think the deer will be, and how you're going to just put together a plan. It's it's really cool. Uh, I trust me. I've I've been having fun um, with it myself. Uh, I'll spend many a lunch break uh, dropping weight, dropping markers as well, and deciding what colors I want to use for like for tree stands. I use brown to signify trees. Um, I do the same thing. I use blue for water um and things like that all right so now we've got waypoints out of the way um that were defined i should say um for somebody brand new who all right a new bow hunter they've they've learned about a new piece of property they are are public land that they've never been made aware of they've uh subscribed to an an app like onyx now what should they be looking for when they first open it up they zoom in on this um what should they be looking at the satellite uh topo a hybrid like what are the things they should be looking for um let me start this by saying the the goal especially for new bow hunters i'm trying to Mm -hmm. push this message hard man the goal should be to learn deer first like learn how to Uh, deer hunt first like a lot of people are they're starting out. I mean, you see a lot of people come in and quit after four or five years. A lot of guys do this because we, we let our egos get in the way. We come in, we're like, oh, I don't want to shoot a little buck or I only want a big one. And they don't even learn how to hunt deer before they're trying to hunt big deer, which is a huge mm. mistake. It, I mean, it's it it. I honestly think it brings more people in and, and takes them out than anything. It's it's bad news. So I, I always say when you're when you're pulling up that Onyx, and you're, you're going to learn hunting. Like you want to learn how to hunt deer first. Mm-hmm. And so what I do is, you know, it, it depends where you're hunting. If you, if you're like, I'm, I'm just starting out, I don't know where to hunt. You're going to be looking for public land first. And that's, that's a whole can of worms. But 
generally you're going to start out with the satellite overlay and just look at the land. So, you know, if you're, if you live in such and such town, you might be like, okay, well, I'm going to look within a half hour or maybe an hour tops of where I live. Where's the public land? I'm going to scroll over there and I'm going to be like, okay, there's some, there's a chunk here. Oh, there's three scattered along this river. That's like basic, like, okay, this is, this is kind of where I'm starting. This is where I'm going to, where I'm going to begin. And then, you know, if you find a spot like that, you're going to, you're going to probably dig in and maybe do like the topo overlay. So you can see the elevation changes a little bit, see some up and down. And there are times where you'll take that satellite imagery layer and you'll actually go straight over to the topo layer, which kind of looks cartoonish. It's like, you know, it's not a, it's not a picture of the land, right? It's a, it's kind of a digital representation mm-hmm. because that'll show you every hill, every terrain feature, not, I shouldn't say every terrain feature, every, everything that goes up and down on the land, you're going to be able to see, and then you'll see water on there marked blue. It'll look a little cartoonish. It'll either be a marsh or it'll be something like that. And then you just, you're starting to develop a picture of the land, right? Even if you're working with 40 acres, you're like, okay, the bottom right corner of this, you know, the Southeast corner is all swamp. You know, the, the, the high woods is here. There's a ridge here. And you're just like, I just want a basic understanding of what the land really offers. Cause it's different when you walk in there, you know, this, when mm-hmm. you sit there and look at it on satellite imagery, you're like, okay, I, I kind of get it. And then you get there and perspective is different and the, and the cover is different than you expect. And, you know, the hill's bigger than you thought, or the swamp's wetter than you thought. And so you're just kind of like, I just want to learn what's, what, what are the basics here? Like, what does this piece of ground kind of offer me to like right at the beginning to start with? Well, I know all too well what you're saying. Like sometimes there are huge differences because I'm still learning. And um, my biggest mistake recently was um, not re- really paying attention to the the topo layer of uh, the onyx and just looking at the satellite and mistaking a swamp for solid ground and not learning that till I actually got there and uh, was wondering why the heck is there water here? So... Oh, but then when I compared to what the swamp looks like in real life and then what it looked like on satellite, that that green sort of, uh, I don't know what you would call it, if it's algae or something like that, laying uh, over the the surface of it, which is what gave it the green color on the satellite map. And I just thought that was more um, vegetation, you know what I'm saying? Yep. So, um, all right. So now getting a lay of the just understanding what's where um i totally agree with that um and totally understand that um i've had other folks that i've you know e-scouted with like who will just peek over my shoulder or we share information um we do our best to try to understand what we might run into what is where and so on um are there geographic formations that are more uh, what's the word I want to look for? Like conducive to deer hunting, um, like hills or uh, plateaus, anything like that. Well, it's it man, it's so specific to regions. But uh-huh. what what I would say the first thing, the easiest thing to do is to start with the food, okay. and go okay, where's where are the most obvious food sources? That's even if I can't hunt them because they're not on the public or I won't hunt them because everybody will because they're on the public, I want to know where they are. And so I always I, I always tell people if you're if you're just starting out with a spot, that's the easiest knowable thing. 
is is to look at it and go, okay, at least if you have some agriculture around, this gets a little bit, well, I shouldn't say it, it gets a lot more difficult in big woods terrain, but mm. starting out, if you have some kind of egg, even if it's like a horse hay meadow or something, you can go, that's probably a destination. And it only gets better if you're dealing with some kind of row crops or something like that. You can go, I know that X amount of deer are probably going to end up there every night and originate from there every morning. Like you can, you can know that. And so you start to take that into account first. And then the the next thing I look for is water, you know, and it, this is entirely dependent on where you're hunting. You might hunt a place like, you know, where I hunt in Northern Wisconsin, there's water everywhere. So it's mm-hmm. not, it doesn't matter to me unless it's a, maybe a river crossing because they can drink anywhere. But other places I hunt, water is at a premium. You know, I'm heading out to North Dakota, Western North Dakota in a few weeks and it's pretty dry out there. There's cactus growing out there. And so water is a big deal and pretty important. So I'll start with food, then I'll go to water. And then how that stuff's laid out on the land, then you want to start looking at, do I have any hills? Do I have any valleys? Do I have any kind of terrain that might funnel deer movement? And that's that's when it starts to really necessitate some trips into the woods. Because this, this is stuff that's just not that easy to read on satellite imagery. So you mm-hmm. might see just I'll, I'll just give you an example. Like if you're in kind of bluffy country or hilly country, you'll see these these feeder valleys come down and some spots where there'll be like two or three of them that kind of terminate on a bottom in the same spot. There's almost always good crossings there because that kind of. Uh, when you when you kind of pinch together the rolling terrain like that, there's going to mm-hmm. be places where they like to go and places where it's washed out. And somehow in that spot, there's going to be some trails that are probably worth paying attention to. You're never going to find those on a aerial photo. Like it's it's not going to you just can't get to the level you need to. But you can guess like I can see that I can go okay the topo lines show it the satellite imagery especially if you go to um, that 3D look go from 2d to 3d which is an option on most of those services now Mm -hmm. you see it and you go this this is a place where there's just a bunch of up and down to it somewhere in there when i walk in within this maybe five acre spot there's gonna be that trail that's just pounded because that's where the deer have to go through and you know like i said it's so situationally variable but you can start to find things like that or even just ridge tops and just go okay this is this might be where the deer go from that you know that food source that's on the neighboring private property. They come back to this public land. They might take this ridge back to what looks like this thick stuff. I mean, it just it's all about just kind of getting that idea and then walking in and ground truth in it. Got it. So can I ask? All right. So uh, just to backtrack a little bit in terms of looking for food sources, you you mentioned you know looking for kind of ag, ag agriculture i should say ag uh, for most of my listeners don't know if you hear if i'm correct it, when you say ag you're talking about agriculture like food plots or fields and stuff like that yeah i'm not i'm not talking about i, I mean i guess you could factor in food plots because you do actually see a fair amount of those on people's land when you're you're scrolling over but i'm uh-huh. talking you know farming operations where you know out west it might be a pivot uh irrigated field that's got you know alfalfa in and is super obvious you get into the midwest you get into the east you're talking you know corn soybeans that kind of stuff 
and it's usually pretty obvious on satellite imagery. And it, the, the thing that I guess I should have said this earlier, one of the reasons that I keep pushing this idea of, you know, e-scout boots on the ground, scout, e-scout boots on the ground is because you get to learn that stuff. So if you look at a field on satellite imagery and you go, okay, that looks like a food source and it looks like it's this, well, you can walk in and see that. You know, like you can, you can, you can look at it and go, oh, I was right about that or I was wrong about that. And, you know, people rotate crops. So it's not, you know, what, what was alfalfa or what looked like corn on when that image was taken? It's probably, it might not be that crop anymore, but if it's a row crop, it probably really doesn't matter. The deer are going to come anyway. And so you're kind of, you kind of like get that idea of what's there. And then if you can lay eyes on it and then, and then make that connection of what, what does it really look like? Got it. Now, all right, so for me, I'm hunting more heavily wooded areas. Um, it, so the in terms of the e-scouting, it's going to be a lot more difficult to find those food sources. Is it, should I rely more heavily on boots on the ground or um, what do you call it? Or can I rely just as much on the e-scouting as well? Um, you can use e-scouting. You just have to change your tactics a little bit. And this is... Okay. This is a hard thing. I mean, it, hunting around ag is easy. It, at least figuring out where deer should go is pretty easy. Hunting big wood stuff where it's a lot of unbroken timber, it's just, I, I think it's one of the biggest challenges out there. But what you can do, you know, like that swamp you mentioned, mm-hmm. when you have edge cover, right? Like when you when you have two types of habitat meat, there's always an edge. And, and we call them soft edges a lot of time. You know, a hard edge would be the edge of a woods along a, a field or something. But a soft edge would be where that swamp meets, you know, some deciduous forest growing a little higher ground. There's going to be some kind of browse there, typically. Like, there's going to be a, a a change in habitat that they like traveling. And there's going to be some kind of food there. So you can look at, and this, this is where that uh, toggle between satellite imagery and a true topo map can help you because if you look at it and you go, okay, this, this topo map shows me a blue swamp here with a little cattail, you know, graphics or whatever, you know, that's wet. And then it's not wet on the ridge next to it. So you have one kind of cover and another kind of cover where those meet, there will almost always be a place to find deer. And that's like pretty universal in my experience from, up toward Canada all the way down to Florida. Like it's, you know, it always varies a little bit, but where high ground meets low ground, you'll find food. And the other thing that you can, you can see on satellite imagery a lot is if there's timber production, which you find on big chunks of public land quite often, you'll have those clear cuts of a certain age. And so you'll look and you'll be like, man, those trees appear old, bigger. And then the trees next to them, they look, it looks different. And again, like this is when you see it in person, you go, it, the light bulb goes out. You go, okay, I, I get this now. But when you see it on satellite imagery, you just, you'll just look at it and go, the, the way the trees look in this section, they look big. And the way the cover looks on the section next to it is just like this kind of uh, monocrop looking, like everything's kind of the same. And you know, they're probably different gear classes of growth. And where those meet, there'll be an edge. And where there's an edge, that's where deer will often go. And, you know, when you get into that timber production stuff, and even sometimes when you don't, 
you'll get those soft edges and one of them it will be the transition between where they might go feed on acorns in the more open older growth forest and where they'll bed and browse in the thicker stuff got it all right that's that's definitely a wealth of information i will be uh, re-listening uh basically listening to this over again and, and jotting down some notes I'm I'm just curious because all right here in in New York, um, New York State just passed something brand new. A lot of people didn't expect it. Like we thought we had a lot more time before our season kicks off normally October 1st. But then as of September 1st, uh, New York State is offering an, an early antlerless season, which is running from September 11th to September 19th. We've hot. We've had like uh, a pretty hot summer. It's still fairly warm now. Um and is there a point when maybe finding water or sitting on water is going to be a lot more important than finding food sources or, or is it always going to be looking maybe for food for first before water? Man, I, if you're talking just in the basics of e-scouting, you start with food, but okay. if you're talking about how I kill deer, I look for water. I, I think that water is probably the most underrated deer draw out there. And it's often it, it's often situated out on the landscape where you can hunt it really well. Like okay. it's there's a different thing. You know, you just think about. I'll give you an example. So, one of the farms that I have permission to hunt in southeastern Minnesota, where I grew up, there's one field that's a hundred acres on it, and there's maybe two ponds on the entire property. So I could go to one of the fields. And I've got a hundred football fields of food to work with that they can bed in, they can travel through, or I can go hunt one of the two ponds. One's maybe the size of your living room and one's maybe half an acre. You know what I mean? So like when you're talking about just pinpointing spots where deer are going to go to, water can be unreal if you have the right source. Understood. Understood. And with the water sources, does it matter if the water, if it's still water or running water, or like um one, there's one piece of public that has this this you know pretty uh strong flow strong flowing creek. Like does that the noise or anything like that tend to turn deer away, or do they prefer one of the, over the other? Well, you you would hunt them differently typically. I mm-hmm. I would prefer I like moving water. Mm-hmm because they'll they'll come there to drink moving water creates very specific spots where they cross and it generally allows me to get in and out kind of more ninja style than any other terrain feature so if you if you have like a little pond tucked into the woods on a ridge it could be phenomenal right Mm -hmm. you know they're going to come there to drink if it's in the cover it can be a great morning evening spot whatever cold hot doesn't matter but if you have a if you have a stream or a river to work with now you've got just more things working in your favor you've got that access possibility you know it depends if you can get in and out on it or not but you've got something that is going to cover your noise can usually get you really low so you're good with the wind and it's going to force deer movement i i would take let me put it this way. My dream scenario when I'm looking at public land to travel to mm-hmm. always has moving water on it. Nice. Nice. Get in there quiet. Get in and get out quiet. Yep. Got it. Got it. 
All right. Um. So aside from that, uh, is there any other? Because all right, from because I'm taking notes as we speak. Um. <laughs> so, so uh, trust me, uh, having this podcast is beneficial not only for my listeners but also for myself. Um, Love it. But uh. But uh. So. All right. So from what I've understand, a couple of basics I've taken away is, uh, you know, getting a basic lay of the land, understanding what is where, um, look for food sources, look for water. Um, you prefer looking for water first because you kill uh, pretty good bucks on water. Then um, looking for hills, valleys, terrains that might funnel deer movement. Is there any other key feature you look for when e-scouting that's... Um, you know, definitely beneficial to your hunting scenario. Yeah. Access. You know, okay. when you, uh, well, if you're, if you're a public land hunter, like if, if your listeners are going out hunting public land, mm-hmm. I would say, you know, it, you, you can consume all kinds of content on hunting and you're going to get an awful lot of advice from people who don't hunt public land and who don't hunt around pressure. And so they're going to talk about the moon phase and cold fronts and seasonal timing and all of this stuff that that while it might like factor in a little bit, your deer are most concerned with not getting shot in the lungs. And that is the driving force of their existence every day of the season. And so the moon phase might matter to some of them, but it's going to be like, one tenth of one percent compared to you know 93 percent avoiding getting shot so think about hunting pressure like think about where are people going to come in that's like when when you talk about that little stream if you can get into that stream and and walk it and get in deep probably not much of your competition is doing that not too many people are going to do that a lot of people are going to park at the same parking area that everybody parks at and walk the same two track road in or logging road in and set up close to that like you you really got to when you're thinking about public land hunting you really got to think about two things like how can i outwork the competition and just you know hunt smarter and how can i find where those deer are going to react to the expected hunting pressure because it's coming and it's it's like the driving force man like i i hunt public land most of the time in a bunch of different states and the thing that's prevalent on my mind all the time is where are the other people going to go and how are the deer going to react to that dude i gotta say thank you for what you just said because um i uh, being new to this um I try to take get my information from everywhere, whether it's social media, talking to seasoned hunters, whatever it may be. But I find that when I'm speaking to a person, it, I find if they're really dead set on this is the way that works and that's the only way that works, I really don't want to speak to them anymore because I don't think <laughs> they've, they've got an understanding of that. It's different for everyone because perfect example of what you just said, where I'm going to be, be deer hunting uh, first week of October um, is a popular duck hunting spot, and it'll be right right in the middle of uh, that season. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So I'm right now. My plan isn't only like I'm looking for water. I'm I'm looking for food sources and stuff like that. But I'm also looking for where the duck hunters are more than likely going to be because they're not going to be in the same spot I am, and what's going to sort of drive the deer like what's going to scare the deer and what direction are they possibly going to be running and where can I be to cut them off? 
Yep. So well, it, that's that's a really good plan. I would say too, think about it this way: that not only this is not only to take advantage of that that situation where they're going to travel because of that brand new pressure that comes in. It's where are they going to establish themselves? And you see this a lot. This is this is an easy thing to understand in the big woods when you got a lot of timber. Is there's just concentrations of deer out there. There's there's concentrations of bucks and does, and there's concentrations of bucks, and they're not in those places by accident. So not only will those duck hunters push the deer to a different spot, they'll actually cause them to establish themselves probably in a different spot than they are right now. And it's not like they leave the property or they go six miles away, but instead of being in one place, they'll all just kind of drift or a lot of them will drift to a different area that's not getting messed with. And it might be, you know, a hundred yards. It might be 500 yards. It it just depends, but they'll, they'll kind of clot up somewhere and you won't, you don't want to be hunting on memories then. Like you don't want to just be like, well, I hope the deer that were there get pushed to this side. Like what you want to find is where do they go to feel comfortable now? Now that that's like a factor, now that the duck hunters are there and that's like, that's a thing, you know, every Saturday morning and Sunday morning, they're going to be banging away or whatever, whatever the pressure is most heavy. Now where, where, where are they going to end up? Like, where do they feel safe living now? And when you start to find, like, look for those kind of spots and find some of them, it just, it's like the, your whole worldview as a deer hunter changes. Understood. Understood. Thank you for that. So, um, you know what? Um, we can touch on briefly if you don't mind. Um, so now let's say, let's say myself or my listeners, we've dropped like dozens upon dozens upon dozens of pins on Onyx, right? Of what we think is um you know water sources food sources um possible pinch points and and funnels um when we actually get out to the woods what's one like are we trying to confirm all of it or are there key things that we're trying to confirm more than anything else um i think you should all right i I think everyone should look at it like you know, waypoints are free. And I, I, I joke about this, like with fishing with my daughters, I'm like, hook sets are free guys. Like if you think you got a bite, <laughs> so try to cross their eyes. I don't care if it's a weed or not. Like we'll just duck out of the way and we'll keep going. But waypoints are the same way. You can, you can add as many as you want. What you don't want is a bunch of waypoints on stuff that you don't want to hunt or you're not going to hunt. And so what I do, I, I kind of go through phases where if I know I'm going to hunt a certain spot, I'll, I'll go and Esco and I'll drop a pin on everything that, that catches my eye. And then I'll kind of revisit them and go, okay, does this, is this really doing it for me or not? And this is a hard thing for people to do, but you, you can't get married to them. Like mm-hmm. you have to expect to get it wrong most of the time. Like I, I know this is a weird thing to talk about, but I know when you, when you consume hunting media, mm-hmm. you know, or you're scrolling through Instagram, you're getting, you're getting highlight reel stuff all the time. Like yep. you're getting the best of the best and you're getting what people want to show you. What you're not getting is all the times they just absolutely get their butts kicked over and over and over and over again. And they get things wrong, which is what we do most of the time. Like this thing that we're trying to do is really difficult. And so you're going to get it wrong most of the time. So you just don't want to get married to that that spot where you're like, man, 
here's this little water source or here's this spot where these these you know wooded draws come together that's going to be it if you walk in there and it's not right or that you know that little pond doesn't have any deer tracks around it or you don't find that pounded trail i that waypoint's gone for me like i don't i i want to distill that stuff down to things that i really believe in because this is this is what happens to a lot of people this is why starting out bow hunting is so difficult is like confidence is sort of the secret sauce and mm-hmm. when you go, I don't know, I think this is what people are talking about. And so I should be there, but the sign's not there or you sit at one time and you don't see the deer. Then it's like, well, is this my fault? Like what's, what's wrong here? And the more you just go out and you're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to try this. I'm going to give this an afternoon or I'm going to, I'm going to walk in here and I'm going to scout these three spots. Like, man, I can't tell you how many times I go into those kind of areas and I, I, I have no confidence in any of them. I get rid of those waypoints. I'm like, I got to start over or I got to go to plan B. It happens all the time. But those deer, you know, they're, they're like elk on a small scale. They're going to leave sign and they're going to show you whether they're actually where you think they are. And this, this, go, this happens quick. So those deer that relocate from those duck hunters, you know, if you get, you know, five, six, ten deer living in a certain area or using a certain area a lot, they're going to let you know. Like they're going to leave sign. There's going to be fresh tracks. It's going to be like probably somewhat obvious that there's fresh deer usage there. That matters. It matters so much. And so what you're trying to do is it's kind of like, you know, tournament fishermen talk about eliminating dead water when you're pre-fishing. Like you go out there, you're like, I got a bass tournament Saturday and I've got, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to fish. A lot of the places you're fishing you're not, you're almost not expecting to catch big ones there. You're just like, I got to check it just to know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you go and you catch a couple of dinks or you don't catch anything. You're like, okay, that spot's gone. I don't need to worry about it anymore. You know, if, if you came back next year at a different time, maybe you'd, maybe you'd revisit. But this year at this time, that's dead water and I'm gone. That happens in the whitetail woods all the time. Got it. Got it. All right, so just to to round this out, because um, you've given me and my listeners a wealth of information right now, um, and again, I will be <laughs> listening to this recording, uh, jotting down some notes. But um, I guess what is uh, two things I should ask? Um, what is one misconception that maybe that newer hunters have um, that can lead to failure? Um, and then what is one tip you would give to a brand new hunter and all when it comes to to e-scouting or even getting boots on the ground? So like one misconception that these guys, you know, guys like us should avoid and then one huge tip you can offer. Uh, the, the misconception, I would say kind of going back to what I said earlier, would be that if it's November 5th and there's a cold front that should override everything else and you'll kill a deer like the ruts on the weather set up perfectly it's it should happen because i've been told that like it a lot of times doesn't like it a lot of times just doesn't work in your favor that way and so my my suggestion with that would be to like take everything you're told with a grain of salt until you can go learn this stuff on your own like experiences is is the key to this stuff like if you if somebody tells you it's not worth hunting till x and x time or never hunt in the wind or never hunt in the rain never do this you can you can go learn that for yourself 
because their situation is so vastly different. It would be like, you know, like we just met. If I was like, hey, man, you need to be investing this way and you need to raise your family this way. And you'd be like, dude, I, you don't know me. Like, <laughs> you, know, you know nothing about me. Like, I don't want that advice. And yet we kind of we kind of willingly accept that for hunting. And we can learn from other people for sure. I mean, I hope we can. But I also know that the best teacher is just experience. And so the there's so many misconceptions out there in the hunting industry. Like, do this, don't do this, never do this, always do this. I would say the maybe I know I'm rambling here, but this is a topic oh, no that gets worries. me freaking fired up, dude. Mm-hmm. The ignore most of what you're told if it comes from somebody who doesn't hunt your way. So this goes through everything. This goes through calling. This goes through sense decoys, all this get rich quick stuff, food plots, everything that works for them. Maybe they might be telling you the truth. They might not, but your job as a new bow hunter is to learn what deer like to do and how can you get there? How can you set up on them? It's not to, get frustrated and go, well, I'm going to buy that deer pee and dump it on the ground. Hope it solves my problems. It won't like what, what will solve your problems is e-scouting and getting out there and looking around and making these mistakes and sitting here and watching here and hunting when the duck hunting's crazy and hunting on a Wednesday morning when the duck hunting's not crazy and just learning like, what do the deer do? What do they do out here? And my, I guess my biggest piece of advice with that would be pay attention to what makes you happy. Like I'm, I'm trying to push this message hard because we, we kind of like force this guerrilla warfare strategy against the deer, right? Like you can, you can go super hard and you're going to kill them and it's going to be awesome and you'll have a wall full of big bucks. But a lot of people who take that route and it, almost everybody goes through it, especially us guys, it's not fun for most of us to mm-hmm. make it something like that. It's not the learning experience. It's not that time to kind of recharge your soul and sit in nature and shut off your phone and just like enjoy it. It's, it becomes something different and it's, even though it might be effective for some people, it's really not enjoyable. And I would say like to all your listeners, whether they've been hunting for, you know, one year, five years, whatever, 20 years, what, what makes you happy? Like what, what, when are the times that are most fun for you and lean into that? You know, some people have figured out they'd rather still hunt than sit in a tree stand. Okay, go do that. Have fun. You know, if chasing big bucks doesn't really make it that much fun because you secretly want to shoot forkies and does, then go kill forkies and does. Like if you if you like eating meat a lot and you like venison, go have fun. Go 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 do like I, like go nuts for donuts. You do you out there and you'll stick with it longer and it'll be it'll be more enjoyable. And I promise you, if you do that, you'll get better at hunting. It's it's it works on so many levels. Dude, that that was some like Jedi, uh, <laughs> like <laughs> you know Jedi Master type type uh, stuff right there. So listen, I really appreciate all of this, and um, I uh, highly encourage my uh, listeners to seek you out. Um, please tell us. Where can we find your content, um, you know, written and, and podcasts, like anything and everything that you're doing? Where can we find it? Yeah, man, I appreciate that. So all of my whitetail stuff is at Meat Eater right now, um, where most of it is on the Wired to Hunt kind of uh, sub brand. So if you go to the meateater.com slash Wired, 
you know, my articles, I, I have an article every week that shows up there on whitetail hunting. We've got a YouTube video coming out, some kind of how-to video coming out on the Wired to Hunt channel every week that's, you know, covers a lot of this basic stuff and, and really gets pretty comprehensive in some ways. And then that Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast I produce hits every Tuesday. So if you go to the Wired to Hunt uh, feed, you know, it's on every, every single, you know, uh, podcast app out there, I guess. Mm. And th- that drops every Tuesday. Um, Mark's drops every Thursday. And so that's that's where you can find my main stuff. And then, you know, I, I do write for Gundog Magazine, Wildfall Magazine, and do a lot of bird dog stuff too. And then I have a podcast called Sporting Dog Talk that's all dedicated to working dogs. So if anybody who's listening here is also a big dog fan, uh, that's they, they might find something they like there too. Awesome. Listen, thank you again for your time, man. I truly appreciate it today. Yeah, buddy. I really appreciate it, man. All right. You have a blessed one. You too. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Um, I hope you guys took notes, especially um, for some of you newer listeners, because, I mean, I, this is going to be my third season coming. I've yet to kill a deer, so I still jotted down notes. <laughs> say um it's it's always you know conversations like these are always an opportunity to learn something that you may not have known or it's an opportunity to see something from you know a point of view you may not have taken before so again hope you guys enjoyed it um i truly appreciate you guys um listening on this conversation with tony um i really appreciate him again uh taking the time out to speak with me for this episode um don't don't you guys forget check out wired to hunt foundations um that's a mini series again that tony has put together that he's on that he's doing um it is a great great listen all right so with that folks uh that's it all right uh hope you guys tune in for the next episode hoping to have another great conversation with another cool person I'm hoping to learn a lot more and hope you are too. Now, with that being said, I leave you with this. Hunt hard, and if you can't hunt hard, hunt smart. Stay blessed, y'all.